From the Sammamish Independent, I'm Mahek Sate, your host, and you're listening to Andy on Air. It's Monday, November 21st, and this week I am joined by Tiana Chi to talk about the increase of wildfires around Washington State. The air quality was pretty bad recently, and many are wondering, is this a new normal? We talked to a firefighter, a local hiker, to get insights on how impactful these fires are and what is being done to fix the issue. Hey Tiana, how's it going? Hey Mahek, it's going good. I'm getting a little tired of the constant rain, but at least it's better than the smoke from September. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of smoke and fires, Washington has been seeing an increase in wildfires the past year. Recently, the Bolt Creek near Sokomish and La Catrine fires in particular have brought lots of smoke to Sammamish. For me personally, it's the first time I've really started to realize that these wildfires aren't just some anomaly of the season. They're happening almost annually in Washington, and Sammamish residents are definitely being affected by them. Yeah, exactly. As a matter of fact, last month, Darcy Bulger, one of the editors for the Indy, actually witnessed the Bull Creek fire, which burned by Highway 2 on the west side of the Cascades when it started. We talked to her about what that encounter was like. So my girlfriend and I were planning to do a like a, a training hike. We needed to get a certain amount of distance and elevation for a big hiking event we had coming up. And she'd had Lake Serene on her bucket list for a couple of years. And we knew air quality wasn't gonna be great anywhere. Um, but as far as fire danger went, um, and just to back up a little, there were a, a couple fires going on in like central and eastern Washington at the time. So we we knew as our summers tended to, to, to have that we would have some like kind of unhealthy air, but we didn't really worry about the fires themselves as long as we weren't hiking next to them, you know. So we agreed to check how the air quality was uh, like registering in the morning and look at the fire maps the next day before going out and everything still looked fine. I think it was maybe uh, dangerous for sensitive groups. And so we thought it's worth it. We'll get it done. So we get to the trailhead and the sky's definitely a little bit dark, but we checked our fire maps again. Like, on, we, you know, on Google Maps, you can see fires. And I use a hiking app where you can do a fire like layer on it. And both didn't show that these fires were anywhere near us. So we said, okay, let's just go. I mean, this is probably just like a thick patch of smoke. It'll blow through. And we started hiking about 7.30 or 7.45. And it was pretty busy. Everybody that we saw on the hike that day was like, wow, it looks like Armageddon out here. The air was, it it looked like we had a a filter, like a sepia toned filter on our camera, but it was real life. Like it was just a very eerie feeling. And I remember even before we left the car, there were big pieces of ash falling. And we're used to getting a little bit of ash in the summers around here, but this is like, it just felt a little different. The air was like kind of still 
and things were just kind of hovering in the air. It just felt a little different and a little unfamiliar. Um, it smelled smoky. Our throats were a little bit irritated, but we were like, it'll blow through. It'll blow through. It's fine. And then at the top of the hike, we were probably less than like an eighth of a mile from the lake itself. Um, there was a group of older men who had turned back and they said, oh, we didn't make it. We, we decided to turn around. It's a little too smoky for us. And we thought, okay, well, they're, they're older guys. They're probably in their like 60s and 70s, you know, and they, you know, we thought maybe they just, they've been here a million times. They don't need to see it. They don't feel like it's worth it. So they turn back. That's, that's, doesn't apply to us. So we were going to keep going. And right then this group of like probably 20 somethings, they came running down the trail and they said, you guys, I highly suggest you turn around right now. And when these hikers yelled, they, they pointed to the sky behind us and they said, that right there, that is fire glow. <laughs> and my friend and I, we looked and it was, it was orange, like dark orange, maybe even red. But we had never heard the term fire glow. And we kind of thought they were overreacting and being dramatic. And we like suppressed a bit of a giggle. <laughs> we like kind of hesitated before turning around because we wanted to kind of like take a beat, you know? And we said, oh, okay, well, thanks for the heads up. Uh, we'll think about it. And they were like, we, fine, you do you. Like they just kind of like wrote, you know, they can't make us go. And you could tell they were a little bit concerned, but they just kept running down the mountain. And then my friend and I got our phones out and we looked at the fire danger maps because we're still thinking at this point that if a fire is close to us, it's because the active fires that we knew about had gotten so big and moved so fast that they were now a threat to us. And we looked at those, at the maps of those fires and they were nowhere near us. They're like 50, 60 miles away or more. I'm really bad at geography, but we were like this, the fires are not close to us. That must, that, that red that we see up there over those treetops, that's gotta just be the way the sun is hitting. It's an optical illusion. You know, we were like so distrustful of what our eyes were telling us, but we still, like pause, we still felt uneasy. Like all of the stuff started to kind of like come together to paint an, an unsafe picture. The way that the air looked to us, the way it felt to breathe, the smoke where you're getting more of that air in your lungs. And it's something that you kind of like ignore because you think you're fine, but all this stuff started to come together. We see, you know what? Even if we get to the lake, we probably won't have a great view. And it doesn't feel very healthy to be breathing this air anymore. And the fire's probably not close to us, but this, this just doesn't feel good. And so we start to make our way down. We decided not to see the end of the hike, turn around right then. And then uh, I can't remember if this hiker came running up from the bottom or came running down from the top, but he had received an update from somebody that they were closing roads. And so at that point, my friend and I thought, well, if they're closing roads, that means that we're at, you know, best case scenario, we're going to be in the way of some like 
first responders potentially were going to be causing more trouble than is necessary for people who are managing traffic right now. Like, let's get out of their way. And then we're also thinking in the back of our minds, like, shoot, maybe these fires have grown. Like, let's get down quick. So we like hustled down the mountain, not as fast as we would have if we'd known there was a new fire near us, but faster than we would have gone if we were just out for a regular pace, you know? And when we got to the parking lot and at the parking lot entrance, they'd taped it off. The rangers or somebody had come and taped off the entrance to the parking lot. And then somebody told us in the parking lot that they'd also taped off the like turn off onto that road as well. So it's taped off in two places. And there was a guy running around the parking lot yelling at the top of his lungs in like, this is probably the first time I've heard somebody facing their own panic and trying to be a hero in what they perceive to be life-threatening circumstances. And you could just feel the like energy coming from him. And he yelled, you guys, the fire is right there. It is right there. You got to get out. You got to haul bleep. And it, the air again was like super still. And now there wasn't just ash falling from the sky, but it was like singed pine needles like things that were very recently burned and very big, like big chunks that have been expelled from a burning tree, they can't fly that far, you know? So when you see that big kind of debris coming down, your instinct just tells you like, okay, there's something different about this atmosphere. My car windshield had like a good six inches of thick ash and debris and just singed stuff all over it there were also a couple parties in the parking lot who were taking pictures sharing updates with each other very calm so you had this very weird mix of like sensory input happening at the same time all telling you different stories (laughs) and Nick, my friend and I, Nikki, uh, we would typically have enjoyed like, you know, you, you take off all your, you, your boots and your backpack and you do a little like cleanup ritual and you have a beer or something in the parking lot and you just kind of celebrate the end of a fun hike. But for this day, we just looked at each other. We're like, let's get out of here. We throw our dirty stuff in the back of the car. We don't even change out of our boots. And we uh, joined the lineup of the few cars who were leaving that were still left in the parking lot. And somebody had to take down the tape, which I felt really bad about because now the tape is down. (laughs) We didn't stop to put it back up because there's more cars leaving behind us. But um, yeah, we decided to, to leave. And where we came out of the trailhead, if you looked right, there was a bridge and I believe there was a barricade that you couldn't go across the bridge. And when you look left, it was clear, no cars coming towards us, but we got out onto the road and then it wasn't too far down where there was a road closure. So they weren't letting anybody come up to where we were. We had to pass that point. And it was a very eerie, scary feeling. Like we kind of realized that something was a little bit more dangerous than we were aware of. Oh, and the other thing is when we got to the car, 
it was at that point we got a um, an alert on our phones. We both have iPhones. They're both running like GPS signals everywhere, every which way. And I guess based on the fact that we were located in this vicinity, they knew to send us an alert. And it was just um, an evacuation readiness alert. And it said, this fire is started. You don't need to leave yet, but you need to be ready. Gather your documents and whatever. And I think that like it, it gave me butterflies. It added a little bit more of that fear into the mix of what we were experiencing. Wow, that must have been really scary. It's so terrifying to think that a wildfire can start so quickly and suddenly. Yeah, the Bull Creek Fire has been burning for so long as well. Didn't it start in like early September? Yep, it started on September 10th and in just a week it grew to over 10,000 acres. On October 21st, it was only 51% contained, but there's minimal fire activity. I wonder why it's taking so long to put out. How does putting out a wildfire even work? We spoke with the local firefighter to learn more. Let me just introduce myself, uh, Seth Merritt. I'm a battalion chief with Eastside Fire and Rescue, and I'm also a division supervisor on a incident management team for the Northwest uh, Type 2 team. I've been doing that, uh, which deals specifically with wildland for the last five years. What does putting out a wildfire look like? Uh, putting out a wildfire, so I'm in my, my 26th year in the fire service, and I used to have a view that putting out a wildfire was kind of like putting out a house fire. We send fire trucks, they have water, they have hoses, and they're gonna make a big impact and put it out. So when we see lines of fire engines that are headed to wildland fires all over our state, I think the public view is they're gonna go put it out. That's what, that's what people think. Um, but over the years, in my experience, now I'm realizing we aren't going to put it out. We're going to help protect as much as we can. So each one of those fire engines has 250 gallons to maybe a thousand gallons of water. But sometimes we'll use two to 5,000 gallons of water to put out a burn pile that somebody has started illegally. So if you think about a burn pile in the back of somebody's yard, and it's going to take us 5,000 gallons of water to put it out, how much water are we going to have to use to put out something that's in 100 acres, 200, 1,000 acres. So putting out a wildfire has become much more about managing and trying to keep it out of homes and out of business, away from businesses, trying to put in uh, protective lines around those things, and a lot less about spraying water or uh, actually putting the fire out. We do have a lot of air resources that, that drop water and definitely slow fires down, but a lot of times it takes nature and rain at the end of the year or sometimes even snow to truly put fires out. Uh, the smaller fires we can handle. We're good at that. We're good at fighting fire. Um, but what we're seeing now in, in Western Washington this year it is new to us, and we'll talk more about that. What is an experience as a firefighter that has stuck with you? Two months ago, my answer probably would have been different. It probably would not have been as relevant as it is now. But 
Uh, last month, the Bolt Creek fire started, and I'm sure you've heard of it. Uh, just one mountain above us, one, one highway to our north on Highway 2, and that isn't normal for Western Washington. If you look back over the last 100 years, the amount of large fires in Washington state, there are not fires of that size that are on this side of the state. And so I, I was on that fire. I listened to that fire the morning that it started. And then I, uh, I ended up spending about 72 hours there participating on it. But it really drove home the point for me that we have felt very safe and secure here in Western Washington for the most part. We get small fires, we get 500 acre fires and those are big and people, people take notice of them. But this is a fire that's almost 14,000 acres and it's on this side of the Pacific Crest and it threatened over 6,000 people and, and residences and businesses all up and down the Highway 2 corridor. And that's something that's new for us it's only by chance that it happened there and it didn't happen here in North Bend or in Enumclaw or in Packwood in one of the other passes and push through into a, an urban area. So this year has been eye-opening for me and I hope for the public as well that we can't just say that wildfires are in Eastern Washington or California issue because those are wildfire areas. We have one going right now that's affecting you and I every day that we wake up and we watch the smoke move in and it's not going away until the weather changes and they're doing everything that they can to manage it. We need to change our mindset. We need to start thinking about uh, this could happen here and it could happen here tomorrow. Obviously, this interview was conducted a couple weeks ago during the peak of the Bolt Creek Fire, but I think that even though we're not currently suffering from the smoke anymore, Chief Merritt's statements are still very much relevant. Exactly. This is the first time it's really set in for me that these wildfires are not just something that happens in faraway places. They can happen and they do happen right here in Washington. I am so grateful for all the work that firefighters do to help keep our community safe. I don't know what the future with fires will look like, but in the meantime, we can all take steps to help minimize the risks and effects of wildfires. According to Seth Merritt, we currently live in a wildland urban interface, which basically means we live in an urban city that was originally just a wildland. We can help reduce the risk of wildfire by creating a defensible space around our property by clearing vegetation that might allow fires to spread from the vegetation to our house or from our house to the vegetation. If we all do our part to help minimize the risk, Sammamish can become a safer and more prepared community. Here's what else you need to know this week. There is a love and hiking date for couples, a self-guided tour in five different languages. Enjoy a hike with fun digital activities along the way. This is happening from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Hazel Wolf Wetlands. Upcoming National Days of the Week is November 21st is National Gingerbread Cookie Day. November 22nd is National Cranberry Relish Day. November 23rd is National Eat a Cranberry Day. November 24th is Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. And November 25th is National Parfait Day. 
This episode of Indian Air was produced by Mahek Sate, Tiana Chi, Mega Ramachandran. Our theme music was created by Ben Alright and Richie Uthasambut. And that's this week's episode of Indian Air. I'm Mahek Sate, and remember to keep smiling, work hard, and love our community. I'll see you next week.